there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Schmozone, where the air is thin, the sports get heavy. With your hosts, the dynamic duo, Dave Schmolenson and Helen Yee. Welcome to the first live version of the Schmo Zone. I'm Dave Schmolenson. And I'm Helen Yeast Sports. So we started this as a podcast in 2020 to dive a little deeper behind the scenes covering the sports that we absolutely love through our hustle and our grit. And for those of you who don't know, I play this character called the Schmo. And the easiest way to describe the Schmo is Craig Steger meets Rodney Dangerfield. Sports first, comedy second. So essentially, I've been waltzing around with a turtleneck, funky blazer, and yellow lens aviators with thick black frames for years to cover the sports I love. So doing the schmo zone was the easiest way to peel back the uniform and talk freely. So now, here we are, Helen. So basically, to clarify, you're Dave Schmolenson on this show, but the schmo may make some appearances as the show's on-scene reporter. Yes. And for those of you who are longtime listeners and fans of ours, we greatly appreciate you following along and continuing this journey with us. Couldn't have said it better myself. Helen, you're born and raised here in Las Vegas. You're a huge Las Vegas sports fan. You're a two-time state swim champion in Nevada, and you can do more pull-ups than anyone else can. You're a beast in the water, and you love sports. You know what, Dave? I can only do 15 pull-ups right now, but look, my goal by the end of 2024 is 20. Wow, 20. (laughs) Well, you have the credentials for it. You have the skill set for it. But hey, so for our listeners, a bit of what you guys can expect to hear from us on the Schmo Zone are interviews with some of your favorite athletes. Like we have some amazing guests coming on a bit later today and also a fresh approach to Vegas sports, some behind the scenes stories, which I know Dave is really excited to share a particular NFL story. And I don't know if you guys can maybe guess which NFL players house he went to recently. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're excited to talk a bit about that. Certainly am, but this was a huge week in NFL football. We have four teams left. You have the Chiefs going on the road, beating the Bills. The Ravens taking care of business against the Texans at home. You have the Lions beating the Bucks at home. You have the 49ers beating the Green Bay Packers. So now we have the Lions versus 49ers in the NFC Championship game. and the AFC Championship game, you have the Chiefs versus the Ravens. And it doesn't get much better than that for NFL action. And a huge takeaway that I have after watching it because you know how much I religiously watch this football you you are so religious about football that every weekend I know you're super obsessive because you're in that 14 player fantasy football league with your frat brothers right for the past decade or so going over a decade strong and you're actually back-to-back champion and I know you were super upset because you're going for that three-peat and unfortunately 
you did not get it for this year. Listen, you have to manage the waiver wire. Everybody gets injured. My sixth round pick was Deshaun Watson. It didn't pan out for him in Cleveland this year. I like to take those quarterbacks in those mid-round levels. It didn't work out. But I want to get to my huge takeaway from this weekend, and that's Patrick Mahomes. And I don't care what people say, whether it's too early, not too early, but he certainly has got to be up there in the GOAT conversation. He's been a starter for six seasons, and that's six straight AFC championship games. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time NFL MVP. Oh, and by the way, he's 28 years young. He's the fastest to 10,000 yards passing, fastest to 25,000 yards passing, 100 passing yards touch uh, touchdowns, then 200 passing touchdowns, the youngest to do it in NFL history. And I know Brady has the accolades. He's lived there. He's done that. But if you stack these two up trajectory, him right next to Brady, Mahomes is right there. And obviously, if his career ended today, first bout Hall of Famer, but he's marching on. And now he's got an opportunity to go into Baltimore to do it again on the road and then be in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes does not get enough credit. And maybe I'm a little bitter because originally I'm a Bears fan and the Bears passed him up to draft Mitch Trubisky, but that's just another story. Oh, yeah. I, I know you're still hurting from that. I know every weekend in the past when you're watching the Bears play, I mean, let's just say I kind of had to leave the house for a bit <laughs> and then come back. But, um, yeah, I know there's a lot of great games that went on also this past weekend, but didn't you make – a Super Bowl prediction, right? Yes. Like a bit early on. And actually, your two teams are... They're I still mean, alive. They're still alive, yeah. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers representing the NFC and the Baltimore Ravens representing the AFC. And just look how strong that division's been. The Baltimore Ravens were good all season. I know Joe Burrow had to battle injuries and the Bengals had an off season, but then the Browns made the playoffs. And look at the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, the job that Mike Tomlin's done all year. He's always finishing every regular season with winning records. It's incredible what he's done in Pittsburgh. Who's done more with less than Mike Tomlin year in and year out? It's just an incredible job. And you can always tweet us uh, or X us, I guess, yeah. on X at the Schmozone. Give us your thoughts, the Schmozone, T-H-E-S-C-H-M-O-Z-O-N-E. We'd love to get your thoughts as well. Um, but also I want to mention coming up later in the show, Marquette King, because he played on the Raiders. We are, you know home of the Raiders here in Las Vegas. So I'm interested to kind of pick his brain a little bit about that. But also this past weekend, I know someone that you were talking highly about too, and you've interviewed last year during the Super Bowl red carpet, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers. Talk about a resurgence in his career because you're absolutely right. He went to the Rams with an injury at the end of last season with their quarterback position teamed up with Sean McVay, basically betting on himself, house money, played extremely well, was loose, went to the Buccaneers team who had no expectations. And look, they were a playoff team, and they were right there in the very end against Jared Goff and the Lions and Baker Mayfield making a name for himself and just doing what he can on the field. Guys like playing with him. And talk about a guy in Mike Evans who's a surefire Hall of Fame wide receiver and, and what they did. I mean, their running game – was not the best the Buccaneers all season long, but White did what he could do. He was good in the passing game, and the Buccaneers' defense was great. 
the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield, they turned a lot of heads. And Baker Mayfield, if you were doubting him before, he's proved that he is a starting quarterback that's deserving of a long-term contract. And he's that quarterback for the Buccaneers, if you ask me. But isn't it crazy? Less than a year ago. Yeah, it was less than a year ago when you interviewed him. And he was, what did he tell you? So the Schmo interviewed him. He's going to be our red carpet correspondent, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. If we ever kick it out to the Schmo, you know he's done some good interviews that week. So the Schmo interviewed him on the Sports Illustrated red carpet during Super Bowl last year in Phoenix. And obviously, you know, he wasn't in the playoffs. He was having a good time, but he didn't know what his future had in store. He was optimistic, but at that time, he didn't know if he'd be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. You know, he didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know he was going to have an opportunity to compete for a starting job. He could have just accepted being a backup at that point. But someone who's optimistic, someone who puts in the work, doesn't listen to the naysayers, and he just played his style of football, and that's why he was extremely successful this season. So did anything impress you at all or surprise you about this season? Well, if you look at the teams that are left, obviously the the Lions had high expectations for how they finished last year, but look at the way they're playing. Look at the way they overhauled their backfield and they're able to draft Gibbs. They got Montgomery, uh, Dave Montgomery, former Bears running back, they, to, to have their new backfield. Jamal Williams, who's extremely popular in that city, left for New Orleans. He didn't have a big season in New Orleans. I mean, talk about a guy who was one of the heartbeat players for Dan Campbell and that Lions team. You overhaul the backfield. Amon Ron St. Brown has proven to himself, talk about it, by the way, a snub for the Pro Bowl. He's all pro, but he wasn't a Pro Bowl wide receiver. He has proven himself to be one of the top wide receivers in the game. You get Sam Laporta, it's one of the top rookie weapons at tight end. And the Lions offense was just rolling all season long, and their defense was playing strong too. And everyone's been fired up in the Motor City. Yeah, and speaking of the Lions, though, I have to say that is a nice jersey you're repping, Dave. It's your Barry Sanders jersey. I love Barry Sanders, and to go behind the scenes, you were talking earlier in the show, we brought up AP Adrian Peterson, or did we not say his name? No, we didn't say his name, but it's okay, because now we're saying his name, and yeah, a few weeks ago, you went to his house. Yes, it was I around went, Christmas time. went to his house around Christmas time. The schmo interviewed him inside his home. The Christmas tree was in the backdrop. So, funny story, because he was supposed to come to Las Vegas because his former team, the Minnesota Vikings, were in town playing the Raiders, and we were going to orchestrate a Q&A, do a meet-and-greet, and, and a signing appearance with him, and I was going to do something awesome with him. It didn't materialize. I didn't want it to go astray, so I called him up on the phone. I said, AP, whatever I got to do to get to you, let me know. I flew to Houston. On was, your own dime. On my own dime that Sunday morning. I went to his house. I interviewed him for about 25, 30 minutes, and then I came back to Vegas that night. And it was an incredible experience to talk to one of the greatest players in NFL history, certainly one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. And it was just an absolute pleasure. pleasure. And by the way, nobody gives harder handshakes than Adrian Peterson. Nobody Wait, on seriously? Earth. Yeah, he breaks your hand. you shake like, a lot of people's hands. You've met so many athletes, but so you're telling me Adrian Peterson – shakes it like the firmest yes and look we've 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 rubbed elbows with a lot of ufc heavyweight champions yeah, you're right adrian peterson still takes the cake when it comes to a firm handshake wow and what did he tell you about his goat though because 
now circling back to why you're wearing that jersey. Yes, it's one of my favorite childhood uh, jerseys. Even though I'm a Bears fan, I'm wearing Barry Sanders. Run, Barry, run. I'm wearing his jersey. And outside the tackles, who can argue who is a better runner outside the tackles than Barry Sanders? He made everybody just look foolish. It looked like a human joystick, like a video game out there. But you're saying AP told you that he thinks Barry Sanders is the GOAT? Because I, I saw that clip when you posted it on your Instagram. It went kind of viral about him saying that. Yeah, I mean, look, and then, of course, I'm going to pepper him up a little bit and say, look, but between the tackles, especially this era, who was better than Adrian Peterson? He trucked everybody. He ran everybody over. And look, we weren't alive for Jim Brown because that's what he did to everybody in his heyday, and he played. And Emmett Smith, from the longevity standpoint and having all the yards that he accrued in the records and, you know, Everyone where I'm from talks about Walter Payton, and you can certainly make an argument with Walter Payton being one of the greatest football players of all time because not only could he run, he could block, he could pass, he could punt, he could play all the positions. But Adrian Peterson, I mean, he had high, high praise, and rightfully so, for Barry Sanders. Didn't he also tell you he wants to come back? Yes, he said, yeah, he wants to play at 40. He wants to be there 40, 41 years old and play in the running back position. He could still contribute to a team. But he also, um, you commented commentated his last fight when he fought Le'Veon Bell. True story. My broadcast debut uh, for live television pay-per-view was Le'Veon Bell boxing Adrian Peterson, that Social Gloves event in Southern California. And let's just say uh, Le'Veon Bell did get the best of him that night. So the firm handshake, I mean, can't I mean, take it with you in the ring you, to you, throw punches. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't really squeeze those gloves, you know, those 16-ounce yeah. gloves. You can't really squeeze them the same. But, look, when it came to running the rock, there's, there's certain guys you just did not want to tackle, and Adrian Peterson was one of them. Well, there's so much more to talk about on the show. Uh, we have NBA talk. We have UFC talk coming up with Dominic Cruz. Uh, Raiders talk with Marquette King and Michael Carter Williams to talk some NBA because I know one of the players really went off last night. Joel Embiid. 70 freaking points. 70 points. That's insane. It's insane. That beat Wilt Chamberlain's record. And AI, Allen Iverson, the great Allen Iverson, didn't score that many in a game as well for the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. And I believe it was just so incredible because his stat line – I believe he had five assists and 18 rebounds as well. I mean, he totally went off. He totally went off. And it was just an incredible sight to see. And he's been stacking up these amazing seasons year in and year out. And Joel Embiid, if he's not your front runner for NBA MVP, I don't know who is right now. Well, we're going to head to a quick break. But when we get back. When we get back, we're going to get into some NBA talks. Strap your seatbelts, folks. The Schmo Zone is back on ESPN Las Vegas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I want to introduce our upcoming guest on the Schmo Zone. He's an 11 year NBA veteran, he's the 2014 NBA Rookie of the Year. Let me introduce to you Michael Carter Williams. What's going on, my man? How we doing? Hey, we're doing good, MCW. Thank you for joining the Schmo Zone today, man. It's always great chopping it up with you. 
Yeah, no, it's always great chopping up with you, catching up with you on uh, all sports. So um, I thank you for having me on the show. Um, I appreciate it, and I'm ready to have some fun. Absolutely. Let's start with this. Your rookie of the year was with the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, he scored 70 points for the 76ers. That's outscoring Wilt Chamberlain in his best game That's uh, for the 76ers record. That's outscoring Allen Iverson. He had 18 rebounds, 5 assists. It's the anniversary of Kobe Bryant going for 81 against Toronto. And that's Joel's favorite player. What do you make of Joel Embiid's performance last night? I mean, obviously, you know, he's so talented, right? Like, he can do so many things off the on the court. He's he's real versatile, and, you know, he's so big. You know, he can, he can score so easily. And, you know, a guy like him who, who's, you know, who's got the talent of, you know, he's got world-class talent. And, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that he went out there and he, you know, can, can dominate games like that. I mean, he's been killing all season, but you know, to score 70 in a game is just is just ridiculous. We've seen it a we've seen it a, a few times recently, you know, the past couple of years, which is you know, which is really impressive. But I think it just shows the the level of talent that's in the league right now. What could that kind of performance do for a team like the Philadelphia 76ers? Because they're at the top every year. They're competing, but you still have the Boston Celtics. You still have the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you think that a performance like this could be a spark plug? Do you think that this could be the year that Embiid brings this team over the hump? Do you think they have enough? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the you know that's the only knock on you know, Embiid and the 76ers, right, is getting past you know the Celtics and, and, and Milwaukee and um, I think they're looking to, you know, kind of change that narrative, right? They got all the talent in the world. They got Maxi, you know, playing at a high level. They got NBA playing at a two-time, you know, level. So, um, you know, the only thing left they have to do is, you know, get that title. And, you know, you gotta got to believe that's on the back of their minds and, you know, just, you know, really trying to push forward and get all the momentum, you know, going into the playoffs as possible. Switching gears a little bit, but sticking to the NBA, obviously. Kevin Durant, Helen pointed this out to me this morning. He's been engaging with fans on X just about the GOAT conversation. Um, Some fan pointing out, look, Kevin, we can't put you in the GOAT conversation because you joined a team that was 73-9 in the Golden State Warriors. They already had arguably the greatest backcourt of all time and the greatest shooter in all time in Steph Curry, and that's how you're able to get your rings. You know, it's like if— LeBron James would have joined the Celtics, um, and, and that type of super team, or you know, did the Miami Heat a few years back. How do you feel about Kevin Durant and the goat conversation? Um, you know, I think you've got to put AD in that conversation. Um, you know, he's just such a special talent, right? If there was ever a, a an outlier where you look at it and say, okay, he does, he did play with you know, a team that was 73-9 and nine, that was really good. But even when he went there, right, he was the man on their team afterwards. Like, he won finals MVP. He, you know, obviously it's I, – I get I, – I can understand what people what people are trying to say, but if you look at talent-wise, like, there's nobody more talented than KD. Like, he's – you know, each year he, he shoots a crazy high clip. He – you know, he's done everything possible in the game. He's going to break, you know, scoring records. He's going to, you know, he's going to, his name is, is going to be in the history books, you know, no matter what. Um, everybody's path to championships are different. You know, you could, you know, you could nitpick, you know, many guys. You could say, oh, LeBron joined Miami to get this many championships, and he's only won, you know, he's, he went, he played with Anthony Davis, and, you know, he only won with Cleveland. But, like, you know, people are just going to try to, 
nitpick people's careers, but when it's all said and done and you guys, we watch KD, you know, his, his whole career, you know, there's no doubt he's one of the best players to ever play the game. He's Michael Carter-Williams, 11-year NBA vet, 2014 NBA Rookie of the Year. To follow up on the KD conversation, a lot of expectations this year on the Phoenix Suns. You have Bradley Beal joining the team, another year with Devin Booker. It's essentially their big three. Where do you think he feels the most pressure in terms of how he needs to perform this season, or do you think he doesn't feel the same type of pressure? I don't know, man. I just, when I look at KD and I watch him play and I watch him work out and just his whole career, like, I don't know if he, he feeds into the, the pressure, right? Like, he's, he's going to do the same thing whether he plays with, you know, Phoenix, OKC, Golden State, if he's playing at the park, if he's playing an open run. Like, he, he's just, he's always going to be that guy who just goes out there and, and gets buckets, shoots at a high clip and, you know, competes, you know, every night. So I think that's what he's doing. Um, and his career is not over, too, right? He could go, he could, he's perfectly capable of winning the championship with Phoenix, right? And then the conversation even gets more, you know, even gets more interesting. So I think he just, he's just such a hooper, man. He goes out there and he, and he just kills at any court that he's on. Hey, Michael. Um, we are broadcasting here in Las Vegas, and I know they had the inaugural 2023 in-season tournament. Uh, which yep. was here in Vegas. So in your opinion, do you think that that's here to stay? Yeah, I think so. Um, I honestly think that, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a good experiment. Obviously anytime it gets, anytime guys get to earn some, some extra money and go out there and, and, and there's incentives to compete, I think is good. I do think that they should change the in-season tournament, like how they do in the G league which is the first 14 game you, you get bracket play and the first 14 games count as your record. And then by however your record is, you go in and then you play an 18 tournament to whoever wins. And I think that's better because in the NBA, the in-season tournament, some of the best teams in the league didn't even make like this, like the, I think it was the, what was it? The magic Orlando. They didn't make, the in-season tournament, but yet they're one of the top teams in the league, right? They just lost their in-season, like they lost the games where, you know, that kind of mattered for the in-season tournament. But if you just take the first 14 games that guarantee, or the first 20 games, 25 games, that guarantees the best teams are going to be able to play in an eight-game tournament, and then whoever wins that can win the money. That's what they do in the G League each year. Yeah, and you think the money... they got the experiment pumped. Hmm. And do you think that money is that right incentive to get these guys playing their hearts out? Because obviously the Lakers took it home, but they're struggling to make a playoff uh, seed right now in the NBA. They got a banner for winning the in-season tournament. But was the money enough motivation for these guys? That's one of the questions that I have taken away from this all. Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough because I, I think when the Lakers are when the Lakers are right and they are healthy, they are they are a tough team. Um, obviously, they're going through a little bit of a rough patch right now, um, but yeah, man. I mean, there were there were great games in the in season tournament, though. There was some some competitive games, and it did it did look like more of a playoff atmosphere rather than just you know kind of regular season games. At least in my eyes. And with rumors of there being a NBA team in Vegas, hopefully soon or whatnot, do you think that the league should expand? Absolutely, I think the league should try to expand at any cost. Any 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 cost they can get, um, I think the league should expand. It only brings more eyes to the game. 
only gives guys more chances to, you know, more athletes to, to play in the NBA and, and more exposure to talent to, you know, all the fans. And you played for my Chicago Bulls. Recently mm-hmm. they had the whole uh, retirement ceremony, the Ring of Honor ceremony, and they didn't have the big three in attendance. You didn't see Michael. You didn't see Rodman. You didn't see Scotty. Um, unfortunately, it was kind of a bad taste in the fans booing the Kraus, uh, Jerry Kraus, uh, when his name was mentioned. What's your takeaway after watching that? Yeah, man, uh, that's that's tough. I mean, to even have the inaugural ring celebration without those guys is is kind of ridiculous to me, right? Like they should have either one found a way to have them there, or two just kind of not have it at all. Because you know, obviously, without them, there's there's no ring. So I can understand the the weirdness of the situation. I'm never a fan of anyone getting booed um, because at the end of the day, um, you know, everybody played a part in their, in their championship run, but yeah, it's just tough to do without those guys. Like, I don't know what the expectation on result was going to be without those guys showing up. And you're a big UFC fan, right? Huge. Did you get a chance to watch the fights this weekend? UFC 297? Yep, yep, I got a chance to watch watch hey, those fights. Well, I mean, there's a big debate out there. What do you think? I mean, who did you score it for, Sean Strickland or Drikus Duplicy? Um, I had Strickland 3-2. Um, I thought it was tied, like like kind of Dana said, I had it 2-2 going into the fifth round, and I thought Strickland won the fifth round. Um, I, I lean towards the side of, you know, they say DDP had those takedowns, but... I lean towards the side of if you get a takedown and you don't do much with the takedowns, um, I personally don't give, you know, that much credit, you know, towards those. Um, and that's what I kind of think happened. But that's always the controversy, right? Like some people give a lot of credit for those takedowns. Or if the strikes are kind of close, then, you know, the takedowns make it, you know, it, it edges out, you know, those those close strikes. So, um, but it was a close fight. I don't think it's a robbery. I wouldn't say it's a robbery, but I did have Strickland 3-2. I totally agree with you. Close yeah. fight. Could have gone either way. Helen and I have talked about that at length, and we'll bring that up, too, as we continue the conversation. But want to ask you this. What do you do now in the middleweight division? Because you have options. Does Drikas have a rematch against Strong Strickland? Do you finally get DDP versus Adesanya? And if you can, push that for 300. And then there's Hamza Chemaev, who was promised a title shot after his victory over Usman. What do you do in the middleweight division next? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? If you promised Hobbs out a title shot, um, it's hard to go against that word. And I think the only way you kind of make up for that is if you give him, if you give, you know, if you give him Izzy, right? He'll make the money. It'll be the big money fight. Um, Izzy will fight somebody new. Um, I just think that's a, a crazy, you know, matchup that they can really sell. Um, and then I think since it was so close, I do, I do think that DDP and, and, and Strickland, you know, run it back, right? Like, I think that, you know, it, it, I just think it was a really close fight, and I think as a co-main event, maybe it's not the main fight as a co-main on a on a super dope card. I think that's a a, a fight that's really attractive to everybody. But it, I thought it was also um, kind of weird that the fans were judging the fight based off what their faces look like afterwards. Yeah, you can never do that. You know, guys get cut easily. Some guys have more scar tissue than others. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, fans, especially newer fans, are going to tend to, 
you know, go by damage of the face. Um, I just think that, you know, I think that Strickland, even though he was going backwards in the fight, I think he, I think he was landing, you know, I think he was landing a little bit more. Um, Strickland did get headbutted in the eye, so his, you know, his eye was bleeding a little bit. So, I mean, there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of stuff that was going on in the fight that, you know, just depending how you look at it, you could, you could go either way. Um, I don't, but I don't think anybody would mind them two running it back. Who's your favorite fighter to watch? Uh, right now, I think my favorite fighter to watch is uh, Tom Aspinall, man. I, he's, oh, you know, I think one. he's really incredible. He's like a heavyweight, you know, and he fights like, you know, a lightweight almost. Yeah. yeah, lightweight even. So, yeah, right now he's he's one of my favorite fighters to watch. Um, I just think he's so complete. You know, he's got an all-around game, and the way he's the way he's been able to go out there and, and really shut guys down quickly. It's you know he's must see TV. It's kind of in a lame duck situation because he has to wait for Stipe and John Jones to fight. He's got that interim championship label with him right now, but he's young. He wants to be active. Like, what would you do if you're Tom Aspinall? I know, I know, man. He's in such a he's in such a sticky situation. Sometimes you get that end of the stick in the game where, you know, respectfully, you just got to wait for, you know, John and and um, what's his name to uh and. Just yeah, just for that that John Jones fight to happen, and you know maybe see who you know who the winner of that is. See if they if they both retire, um, then you fight for the vacant belt, or I don't know if he just becomes champ. Um, I don't know. You know it's it's tough. I think that Tom's in a sticky situation where he he might have to wait it out, and um, that's just the you know it's kind of the nature of the game. He's he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. But for the fans, what do you have coming up? Myself for basketball? Yeah, for you. Um, right now I'm 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 uh you know, kind of figuring out my next move. I was down in Mexico City, um, came back home. Um, so I'm still a free agent right now. Um, but you know, I'm looking to go, you know, somewhere. I know there's gonna be a bunch of trades going down, so I'm looking to uh, you know, go on a team this year and, and, and make a run and, and you know, continue my career. He's Michael Carter-Williams. He's been at it for a long time. Always great chopping up with you. We'll get you out of here on this. If you were to make a prediction right now, who would be in your favorites to be in the NBA championship representing the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference? Oh, man, this is gonna. Uh, this is tough. Um, I'm going to go with the East. I'm going to go with the Celtics. I think I think they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're real good this year, man, offensively and defensively, and they got it. They got a bench. They got all the pieces to get there. So I'm going to go with the Celtics. And then on the West, I'm going to take a chance and go with the Clippers. Mm, you don't I think, think, uh, think the Nuggets can uh, repeat, get back there in the uh, Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're so talented. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, I just think that it's hard, right? It's so hard to get back there again. Um, and there's guys that haven't, that haven't you know, been to the finals. They got James Harden. They got Paul George. Uh, Kawhi's been there, so there's some experience there. But they've got, you know, they're they're hungry and they, and they they all got something to prove, right? Paul, especially Paul and James. I think they're they're hunting to get that ring and they're thirsty for that. So I think it I think it might be their year. Makes a lot of sense, MCW. We really appreciate your time here on the Schmo Zone. We'll be in touch, my man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Schmo. I appreciate you guys having me. Of course. Take care. Michael Carter-Williams, always great chopping up with him, Helen. Yeah, I know you guys go way back.
Yes, we do. <laughs> we go way back, and he's a big UFC fan. So I know. We've talked I'm a lot like, of fights. Yeah. It's always great. But uh, Speaking of UFC. Speaking of UFC, when we return from break, we have a living legend, a future Hall of Famer, coming on to talk about UFC 297 and maybe a little UFC 300 and previewing what's to come in the great sport of mixed martial arts. Now we are moments away from hearing from your hosts, Dave and Helen, on ESPN Las Vegas. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone. I'm Helen Yee, and I'm being joined by my co-host. Dave Schmolenson. And we are so honored and excited to now have joining us the Bantamweight GOAT, the future Hall of Famer, who's not only a great broadcaster and analyst, but he's the one and only Dominic Cruz. What an entrance. You guys are too kind. We Thank appreciate you. you, and we're really excited to have you on. And because we know uh, you were down there in Toronto, or up there in Toronto. Yeah, I don't know if I was down or up either. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> All I know is it was cold, and it was quite an experience. But the fans love us out there. Like anything UFC is what I mean. Anything with the UFC, they're just they embrace it. So fans are just all in. So that's always that always makes it fun. It looked like a fantastic time. The building was rocking. All the fans were into it. Um, and then the main event, it delivered. And now everyone's talking. DDP, Strickland. Who won? Why? X, Y, and Z. What's next? From your vantage point and reflecting on it, do you think the judges got it right? I mean, this is the thing. Because it's those split decisions from experience, it, like it allows everybody an opinion. And so... <clears throat> that's what makes it fun to to have up there, um, and I would and I would say that uh, I personally think that the judges did their job that that fight. Like it was a tough tough decision to choose. Um, I think it could have, as everybody says, you could if Strickland wins it. I'm not like shocked, right? I'm, I'm I understand how he could win that, but I do see that. If, I guess if you're looking at it from a striking standpoint, some of those um, most significant strikes, it looked like DDP was trying to land the most significant big ones is what I mean if you, t if you did it like a boxing match. With, um, Strickland was mostly the most was landing jabs. He would land a lot of right hands too. His right hand is vicious. That's obviously to me one of his most lethal punches, but he's got the, most, he's got the best version of the range in the one-two obviously one of in the world it's it's outstanding so he did really well with that but mostly landing jabs i think he really messed up uh, ddp's face with jabs and when we look at ddp a lot of the stuff was overhands and um, the mixing of the wrestling and people say well wrestling doesn't create damage and i can understand that it is a lot of energy though too um, that you're giving, and it's not a simple task to take somebody like Strickland down. That that man is outstanding wrestling defense. Obviously, he's been fighting his whole life. So, yeah, it was impressive to me. I, I have no quarrels with any of it. I thought it was an awesome uh, display of full mixed martial arts. And for now, both guys. yeah, and now, obviously, everyone's talking about what's next. I mean, the middleweight division, it's always stacked. 
but you have like DDP, you know, and the Izzy, their whole background, and then with Strickland wanting that rematch, and then Hamzat coming out and saying that he was promised a title shot, and then Jared Cannonier just kind of waiting right there as well um, to return from an injury. So in your opinion, who do you think would be most intriguing for DDP to fight next? It's so cool because you guys have all this like back research and stuff, and you know all these next fighters that are up to. It's it's cool to listen to because it got me excited hearing that lineup. To be honest, all the people that you just mentioned, um, I'm every single fight that you just mentioned, nobody loses. Had that's what that's what's crazy about this level of the sport right now. It's I wouldn't say the level of the sport is unforeseen. I would say it was foreseen to be this good, but it's. It's the highest level I've seen. So every division stacked from uh, top to bottom. Top 15 are all like, you know, everybody there is a champion in some organization crossed over into this one pool called the UFC. So it's just, it's it's all that, you know, it's awesome. All those guys, you can't see one of those fights that you mentioned, and I I wouldn't be disappointed with any of them. But the big... Uh, but the big question is, what's going to happen with the main event for UFC 300? And if DDP is healthy enough for the quick turnaround, maybe him versus Izzy makes sense in that main event spot. But then again, when DDP fought Whitaker, it wasn't enough time for him to turn around to fight in Australia and go for the title against Izzy at that point. It would be the same similar type of turnaround a few months only, and we don't fully know the extent of the injuries. With that said, if we don't get a middleweight banger as the main event, who would you love to see in the main event for UFC 300? Yeah, so you're saying if it's not like DDP and somebody, then who who else could be up there for a main event, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Man, why don't you give me some tops like I like Helen did earlier? Because you guys are really good with the lineup. Absolutely. What do we got? What do we got coming up? So obviously nothing's been official, but the Conor McGregor Michael Chandler is that a middleweight? Is it a welterweight? Is it one fifty? Whatever right. it is, is that really going to happen? International Fight Week this summer, but it I hasn't been. I think it will. I think Dana did an interview, didn't he? Where he said no. No. They're talking, but no. So what does that mean? Does that mean McGregor would be fighting at 300? Does that mean he's still being pushed to a later date? Everyone's just speculating. Well, the thing is, you got to remember, let's say UFC 300's happening. Um, if we're going to be honest, Conor McGregor would be a UFC 300 on his own. The similar way that Mayweather was in boxing, would carry the card. So if UFC 300 goes with or without him, it's going to be the the top-notch champions right now that are going to fight on it. And I think that card's going to be super cool to watch no matter what. But if he's on it, obviously, no matter what card he's on, it's going to benefit everybody who's on it. Doesn't matter. What about Connor comes back? He's doing every one. Yeah. Well, another name to throw in there in the light heavyweight division, Alex Pereira. Who could he defend his belt yeah, against? He was in Toronto. He was in Toronto as well. In fact, he was. Yeah, that would be that would be great. I would love to see him fight again. He's a giant right now. He put on a bunch of weight. You saw a picture of him and Strickland next to each other. He's double his size. Yeah. Would you make it him cornering Strickland in that championship oh, yeah. fight? Great. That's what makes Strickland special, man. He's willing to mix it up with everybody, and you know, he. When you train and you spar as much as Strickland does, you're putting your ego on the line every single day. 
every single day that's on the line, your chin's on the line, your body's on the line. He spars a lot. He mostly, I've seen him, I've watched him train. That's mostly what he does, you know? And it's really a special way to train, if you ask me, because it's not easy. It's like he knows the right level where he's not getting too injured. I'm sure he walks in beat up, but he's not getting too injured. He's still sparring a lot. So I think that's what makes things different. Dominic Cruz, that's who we're speaking with on the other line here, the Schmo Zone, the Bantamoy Goat, future Hall of Famer, phenomenal broadcaster, analyst, and, of course, fighter. What would you do if you were in Tom Aspinall's shoes? Because he's the interim heavyweight champion. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. With the injury with John Jones, he just, you know, had to get elbow surgery, and he obviously had the pec injury. You got Stipe Maocic, who's waiting to fight John Jones. It's just, you know, it's stagnant in that division. How do you keep things moving forward? Well, the good news is John Jones could stay on the outside and kind of like keep, you know, baiting people that he's coming back for as long as he can, and everybody will wait because he's great, and they want to see him fight again. So, same, and and that's what Stipe knows too. Stipe is just, you know, he can show up and just fight the greatest guy and not have to fight all these other guys. And John Jones and him pretty much have like a silent agreement on that. It looks like. So why not? If John Jones, John Jones has a similar type of situation as Connor, where it's like he doesn't have to come back. He doesn't want to. He can just chill. He could, you know what I'm saying? Like, let his body heal. And I'm sure he's pieced together many different piece, parts of his life to go have fun and live like a normal human rather than, you know, nonstop training. But at the same time, you can see all the training he's done to put that weight on. I think he would want to put that to test. You know, I think he wants to keep going. So I do think John Jones will come back. I just don't know when because he he can take as much time as he wants to heal that injury to make sure he's 100% healthy to come back. And that, that could take longer than six months for sure. It could take longer than nine months. He's not on like a, a rush or else uh, from the UFC. It's like, all right, he can do it whenever he wants type of situation. So it could be longer, could be shorter. It's up to him, you know, how, how, thir- how like hungry and thirsty he gets for the scrap. My only qualm with the situation is win or lose for both these guys, it could be their last fight. So unless there's a contingency or you know that, hey, look, take as much time as you need John Jones to heal and come back and be ready to defend the title. Um, but you've promised us another fight that you'll fight Tom Aspinall, whoever's next in line. Like, that's where I'm sticky because then if you're Tom Aspinall, you've waited all this time and then let's say the, the title's vacant again. What did you do with all this time in the prime of your career, just waiting on the outset before having a label of being undisputed champion? Yeah, there's a possibility of that. You know, you can't really control that, though. What he can do, I would say if I'm asking all, I'm thinking about the controllables, right? Like, all right, the UFC is going to say whoever's got the belt, whatever I'm fighting for, interim belt. John Jones is making fun of me because it's an interim belt, not the real belt. Okay, what can I do? Well, you could drop to 205 and win that belt maybe. You could, you know, maybe um, do just keep scrap just, clean the entire division out and make it, you know what I mean? Just be the interim champion that he is and clean the entire division out. You could do that. Uh, I know what the worry is, like, to fight the best. You want to fight. I get that. But, I mean, realistically, you can't control it if the guys are hurt. 
and the UFC is going to wait. There's, I don't know what, what anybody else, you know, what do you do? What else do you do? Yeah, you make some good points there. But um, lastly, since you are the Bantamweight GOAT, I know there's a huge fight around the corner in Miami, UFC 299, Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. That rematch goes down. Who do you favor in that rematch? Um, it's hard to say because I think I've heard that O'Malley's going in a little bit hurt. If I've like heard a rumor, he said something on a YouTube or something. It could be true. I don't know. But if he goes in healthy, I think obviously I'll give the um, edge to O'Malley on that one because of the power in the early rounds and Vera tends to get hit a lot, you know, and he has a very good chin and he's very durable, but he gets hit a lot by other people, you know, like Rob Font does really well with him and stuff like that. So I think shots are open to get in, um, and O'Malley hits hard. But on the other end, obviously Vera took him out, not by accident. You know, that, that wasn't an accident that he finished him. So as long as he defends the boxing this is probably the exact same way I would think he did the first time, which was he attacked the legs because O'Malley wants to plant his feet in order to hit hard, obviously. He kind of he really needs to set his feet down when he really wants to blast them. And so Vera would take the time to attack the legs, and I think that he's a, he knows it's a marathon, not a race, is um, how Vera fights. And so... He's just he's very good at knowing how to how to get through those early rounds and weather that weather whatever storms coming at him and be there for you. So that's what he has as an advantage uh, against O'Malley. And he I would imagine he's going to look to pin O'Malley towards the fence, head him off and pin O'Malley towards the fence. Um, I do an episode of Unlocking Victory that I'm going to be filming January 30th. So. That'll be on ESPN, ESPN Plus and stuff. And awesome. I'll go over a layout of how um, visually the move we're get- that I think, think these guys will be doing. Awesome. We, we can't wait to check it out. Dominic Cruz, you're a legend. Thanks for joining us on the Schmozone. We appreciate you. Yes, have a good day. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Dominic Cruz. This is a full episode of the Schmozone here on ESPN Radio Las Vegas. We pre- Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.